0: Coming from charm city i'm anthony and i'm cece and this is lit pop bang all right what up we have a great episode today hello, really hello, hello.
1: happy yeah. spring
0: uh it is spring it is it is fully in springtime now we are through the winter of the worst year, I'm very it's excited about time. it. It's allergy time. I'm
1: irritated. <laughs>
0: I am. I'm. You know, not outdoors enough to be fully irritated. But when I go outside, it is briefly miserable
1: yes br- i love that i love that phrase <laughs> briefly so poetic briefly miserable i love it
0: yeah hey we have a great great episode for you this springtime really exciting guest cc why don't you kick it off for the bio
1: yes indeed we have for us today justin sanders is a ghost from baltimore his words have appeared most recently in the horror is us anthology in october 2020 by mason jar press justin and i are label mates he also has appeared in American short fiction and his work ha- has appeared on the city's walls. I love that. And by city, I'm just assuming he means Baltimore. Um, everyone welcome. Justin Sanders. Hey, oh, thank you so much
0: for having me. So you for coming. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Uh, you're a friend of both of ours, so it's always nice to have uh people we actually know on the podcast that's rad exactly it's super cool to talk with you guys yeah yeah hey, we before we get into the questions we always after we give the sort of the official bio we always ask guests hey what's one thing about you that's not in there what's right. what's the you that's not in the bio right oh that's a great question um
1: hey, give me anything anything small or big anything
0: sure uh i'm a huge metalhead oh. that is true yes wow yes okay and in Baltimore, it's it's a great place for it because we have this this big metal fest every year. We have one of the best metal communities of all time, man. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, a, I mean, it's not a place you'd expect, but it's a rad place for metal.
1: Yep. So I have a question. Like, I have a question about that. That has nothing to do with anything. So, metal didn't it have a peak in like the late nineties, early aughts? There have been a couple of different peaks. I would probably say. Um, okay. Uh,
2: my now, I was into like the niche stuff by that point in time, so <laughs> oh. I can't be like a metal historian. But I think around that time is when new metal was really huge and kind of writ large across the culture. You know, like it was showing up in like movie credits and you know wherever else. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, because before that, then there was all it had a peak in the '80s with hair metal, um, right? Right. Okay. It right. Had its that's another peak in the yeah. Right. You know, so there's there's been a lot. It's a broad musical genre. I was joking with my wife that like it gets just as hipstery in the sense that you can be like, you know, oh, I'm into like folk new metal or I'm more into, <laughs> you know, like underground black metal. And it's it's so ridiculous, but
1: I love it. It's interesting. <laughs> it's it, it's interesting. We could talk about that for the next ten minutes. I don't know. We're not we're not going to though. We have real questions here, lip popping. <laughs> so so the first question I just wanted to know about that because I was like curious. I hadn't heard that in a long a long time. But anyway, my first question is in relation to your writing. First of all, I want to say congratulations on the anthology. Like I said, we're label Mace. The anthology is lovely. I've read it. I think the work, all the work in it, is interesting. And I wanted to ask you specifically about the horror the genre. I wanted to ask you sort of a softball question. When, when did your interest first come alive about the genre or like, was it a TV film movie, something that you saw that kind of sparked your interest or w- what really ignited your interest of this particular genre?
2: Yeah. I've probably been a horror fan since um, high school, I'd say, uh, okay. you know, I, it used to be the genre that scared me and I refused to watch horror movies. Ah. Um and then something changed in high school. I can't really put my finger on what other than mm. it suddenly became like my favorite genre. Probably it had something to do with like I had a ritual for a long time. Whenever I was single on Valentine's Day, I would just, you know, rent horror movies for that day by myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no way. That, there's a way to celebrate Valentine's Day. Yeah,
2: right. You know, it's it's a good day for spookiness at the same time as, as romance, I guess. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's an alternative way to celebrate. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, but Um, high school isn't that long, though, actually. I was expecting um, you to be younger when you originally got hooked.
2: No, for the longest time, like, I mean, I saw horror movies as a kid and they just were horrifying to me, you know? Um, (laughs) Wow. As as a, like, I think the first thing I ever saw like that, I was really young and I, um, one of my best friends' older brother was watching uh, Aliens, uh, the second in this franchise. And, uh, you know, my best friend's older brother was always like the cool older kid who I wanted to like impress and seem cool too. Um, uh-huh. So uh, I kind of walked down into his basement and I heard that they were down there watching a scary movie and I was like, I'll just, it'll be fine. I'll be fine. Uh, and I walked down there right at a scene um, where it's a spoiler for anybody. I haven't seen this like 30 year old movie, but <laughs> you know, um, there's a scene where like one of the characters gets ripped in half by an alien. I saw mm. that and it just scared me so bad, you know, um, there was like Michael Jackson's Thriller scared me when I was a kid. It, it was, was spooky
1: what? as hell. It was spooky. When it he comes was god, Both of you are <laughs> fired. It was not spooky. It's looking on. at it now. I'm just
2: like, why? What What about it? Um, the werewolf is what got me. But.
1: Oh, OK, maybe. They, OK, so I might give it to you on the werewolf. Were, werewolf was a little scary, but those things coming out of the cemetery, not. Nah, they look totally fake. Come
2: on. So awesome. Now, especially because like, you know, the history of that, that particular piece and how like he got break dancers from the community to like act out the zombie roles. And yeah, that's so cool. You know? Yeah. Um, But no, it wasn't until high school, at the very least, where suddenly like horror became like my number one love genre.
1: Huh? Wow. So so semi recent. I mean, you know, not. Yeah. Not like a late in life kind of love. I guess yeah, you know, um
2: good god, high school was um 21 years now from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but,
1: well, like I don't know your age and I'm not I'm not that. that's nothing. I'm I'm not over here calculating. Um but the, but the point is is that yeah. You were so, you
0: were thinking like childhood trauma, huh, CC? Yeah,
1: I was. I was I, honestly, to tell you the truth, I mean some of my favorite genres I, the the love started very very early. But it's interesting. It's even more interesting to me that you say this is like a you know, maybe it started in high school because your kind of aversion to it as a young child is really interesting for that person to be, you know, an editor and you know what I'm saying, of an anthology, you know what I'm saying? Of a horror anthology. That's inter that is super interesting to me.
2: Uh, yeah, I guess um, you know, it's it's I spent a lot of time with the genre since then, you know, right. it has become yeah. right. pretty much daily viewing. <laughs> you know um in much the same way that a lot of people you know chill out with reality tv for me it's always like a good horror movie every night something like that so i've seen more than my fair share at this point
1: right you know i think it qualifies
2: for nerd status
1: when you dive in you dive deep (laughs) yes yeah exactly
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah so speaking of that speaking of the anthology in particular um one thing i read um you mentioned in an interview that you did, I think, with uh, Be More Art uh, about the anthology and also something that I heard Mike and Ian, the publishers, discuss, too, is that early, early readers of the submission pile for this anthology had to dig through really terrible graphic submissions. Oh, <laughs> buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So can you talk about that and just tell me like how you managed that as like a, a hazard of, of putting together an anthology like this? Man, um, I wish I had a
2: cool answer for you, but the truth <laughs> is, you know, manages is a, is a good word. Um, I don't know how if, if I accomplished that. I feel a lot of guilt for the readers at Mason Jar who aren't horror fans because mm. I just kind of dumped this gigantic slush pile on them. And, um, you know, I think when I had the idea for this anthology sitting down with like uh, Mike and Ian at Mason Jar and we kind of hashed out. You know the whole idea for it as being this anthology of social horror stories that you know spoke to the issues that were relevant and everything um I had i guess I was of two minds, you know on the one hand, I very much was familiar with what is in in the genre and what the genre produces a lot of, and then I was also sort of thinking, right, but that's that's sort of you know. Campy pulp you know mindless horror uh is on its way out. you know the new makers are all these people who want to use the genre to dissect what fear really means and how it speaks to us informs us, and you know why our fears are what they are, and that kind of stuff um and I just put a little bit too much faith in that being the majority of the work we were gonna <laughs> get in, and then you know we started getting this the submission started rolling in, I think we went through over four hundred of them. I think um, that's the number at this point, um, um, which is just a lot of reading to do. And of that 400, you know, um, a significant portion, a really significant portion was work that, you know, I won't say it was bad, but it definitely was not the work that I was looking for. Um, yeah. mm. And there is a mm. lot of reliance upon, you know, gore and ultra violence and that kind of stuff, which you know, it's just ultimately the kind of stuff that I find boring in the genre. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. And I understand why some people think like you have to conform to those tropes of the horror genre. Um, I just disagree. And I think that you can tell plenty of scary, spooky story, um, horrifying story without leading with, you know, the 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 body trauma always first. Yeah. Um, now, how we managed that honestly was you know we, we just sort of set a high standard and plowed through um, so yeah, again, I apologize to all the mason jar readers who had to do with
1: that oh <laughs> so yeah, that's interesting justin that you're uh, you're apologizing for uh putting the all those who had to read in a bad situation, but I think you know that's one of the things that kind of um you know being an editor have uh, going through submissions is part that's part of the what happens, you know what I'm saying? You Mm -hmm. don't always get exactly what you want and it's kind of um, up to you to call exactly and shape sort of what you're, um, you know, looking for. And this kind of dovetails a little bit in terms of thinking about what you're looking for. Um, I read an article, an interview that you had with Dora Malik, who was actually a friend of Lip Pop Bang, has been on the show before um, uh, at the Kenyon Review where you talked a little bit about your influences, about writing influences. Mm -hmm. And she asked you a question about it. And you talked kind of widely. Uh, there was a wide range of people that you mentioned in terms of like literary influences. Like you said, you got lessons from Stephen King and Faulkner. And then mm-hmm. later on, you mentioned Zora Neil Hurston. And of course, uh, you're and my husband's favorite, Ralph Ellison. So I wanted to ask oh, yeah. you in particular, um, because it seems like you have such a wide range of influences. Like, what is your opinion on people read, reading widely and you know how how did that develop from you did that come from the mfa program at university of baltimore was that were you always a person who read widely that's a great question
2: um i, I believe so deeply i think that if anybody wants to be a, a writer more than anything else that the way to do it more is to pull from as deep a pool as of sources as possible. Um, hmm. And there are so many things that like will influence your writing style just by you reading them. And, you know, you kind of, we all are writers. So we all know the process where you read something and then you pick up, you know, like the flow or a word choice or something like that. Um, I don't know if I was always so deeply read. I think um, I tried to read as much as what, what interested me, um, which I've found has been like, I've gotten so much of the same canon from my education. You know, I, I know I have read great expectations in school at least five times, um, <laughs> you know,
1: not enjoying then, that. eh? <laughs> I,
2: great expectations wasn't all it, I was hoping for. Let's exactly. put it like that. Right. You know? right. um, yeah, I'm being a little clever there. But so. Right. Um, but no, I think. um what I got into sometime during my m f a program was I started reading a lot of Pakistani and Iranian and Indian authors mm-hmm. um, uh and that was really because you know i uh met my wife around that time, and she you know um was coming home from India and had this incredible wealth of these authors who I'd never heard of and never been exposed to mm. um, and I was having a conversation about it with a a friend of mine um somebody i really respect and that i said like yeah i'm reading all these pakistani authors and they said to me and this is just kind of that thing that like sometimes not to take it where but sometimes white writers can say things where you're like huh you know <laughs> um because this person said to me they were like really i didn't understand that they were like a great literary culture like that and I was wow just, Oof. yeah Oof. i know because you're like really they invented writing, but <laughs> wow you know wow but, um and there's just this this incredible wealth of story craft that I found coming from, you know, Pakistani authors, for example. And part of it is how, you know, poetry is just sort of like infused throughout so much Pakistani lit because mm-hmm. poetry is kind of like what you do over there, you know. Right. Um, and so like that, that's a both, you know, interesting to me because it's different than the typical European Western canon that we all tend to get in education. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the writing style is something where I'm like, wow, this is something I can really pull from, you know, uh, this, the musicality that they're using in their sentences and, um, you know, the way that they are structuring paragraphs and stories is so different from what I'm just sort of feel you get the repetition of, you
1: right. know, um,
2: Anthony, and I, uh, we all went to University of Baltimore, correct? Everybody yeah. Here? yeah. 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 Me, yeah. Not, okay. me, not, not, not me. Not, no, no
1: no. No, <laughs> no, no, not me. But yes, you two did. Yes. Yeah.
2: So um so Anthony's from you know we had a professor there um Steve Matanley, um, uh, and I was talking with Steve about um when he got uh, his his degrees and everything from Hopkins and he said something to the impact of like you know after a while you read so many short stories and novels that you kind of get the uh, like you get the gist you sort of are like yeah I read this one I know about how the next are gonna go. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, you know, some truth to that. I think that we all learn plotting and story structure kind of the same way. So mm. you get that kind of you know, like old hat type of feeling sometimes from novels. Or at least mm. I can say that I do. Um, and reading more broadly, you know, I, I really have found that that is the the key to breaking out of that feeling, you know, Um
0: so yeah, I don't, did I just ramble through that? <laughs> did I, no, I, no. Like, oh, It's Jesus. a good one too. That, that idea is really, I think a good one, right? Like that you can, you can imagine that you think you know what a story is and what a story does and can do and sort of reading in different traditions, whether it's genre or, or sort of era or region um, can totally break that open. Different yeah, concepts absolutely. Of, yeah. of what story or what poem is.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I mm-hmm. think it's really important too. I think so. Part of what you're sort of saying is you don't want to look at a mirror. You know what I'm saying? I mean, all the time. I mean, you might want to look at a mirror sometimes when you're reading, you know, and read in your own genre, reading your own race or and or gender or, you know, whatever, um, that sort of thing. But also that, you know, you want other experiences to inform your writing, which I think that's the beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and especially with fiction,
2: you know, fiction and poetry and well, all of it memoir. But, you know, fiction is, is a genre that's so much about stepping into somebody else's life. Exactly.
1: Um, exactly. Yes. You know.
2: So, you know, it's it's the reason that, like, you know, I don't really read a lot of cishet men authors. (laughs) Right. And I like somebody whose experience is different from mine because that's some teeth for me to get into as a reader.
0: Yes. One last thing about your work before we start talking about pop culture. Um, I saw this really rad news recently that you have become a ParaPlus Fellow. Um, well, thank you yeah yeah i'm excited about that. can you tell us a little about that what that means what that does and then sort of uh sort of as an extension of that uh just looking forward what's what's next uh i you know it's i know it's tough when you have sort of a current book that you're out there promoting but sort of after this anthology tell us a little bit what what you're writing now what comes next for you sure
2: um so well, let me uh pull up the actual so i can tell you what Parable says about themselves
1: <laughs> yeah right <laughs> the coined language
2: right yes you know um I can, you know, for I can tell you kind of what it's meant for me so far.
0: Um yeah.
2: but uh essentially Paraplus is a bunch of writers from, you know, um ethnic or uh black or people of color backgrounds, you know, um, who have been looking around and they kinda said, you know, there aren't fellowships that cater specifically to us. Uh so they created one and it's, you know, a bunch of authors from Gabino Iglesias to Laura Vandenberg. Oh, wow. Um you know, um, who took on uh mentees like myself, um, yeah. and we get a a year of coaching on everything from you know writing craft to querying and submitting and you oh. know all that kind of stuff oh um, and they're trying to throw as many resources at this initial you know class of fellows as possible, which I really, really appreciate, um because as you know as you all. As, as you both are very familiar with the writing world is tough and um mm, yeah it really is you know quote-unquote making it is really a community game you know mm, um at yeah. least certainly that's what i've found yeah uh that it really is about how many resources you resources meaning other people how many people you can connect with you know mm-hmm. that are like hey i can hook you up with this person or i can int- make this introduction for you or something along those lines you know um and I think all of us as well are coming from some shared marginalized identity. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, we we all understand that the writing world is caters might ma- majorly to you know cisgendered heterosexual white writers, um, yeah. and that the rest of us are others who kind of have to carve out a market for ourselves. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. market is difficult to carve out because the publishing world doesn't really like to see that space.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. I was just outside talking with, oh, I'm so good. I was just talking with students last night, actually about this, about how like we can imagine the fantasy of, of the solitary writer. But the truth is that every part of writing from, from creating to, you know, selling a manuscript to, you know, selling that book to booksellers, to promoting that and getting it out in the world and sharing it. Every part of that happens in a community, and um, that means it's an interpersonal thing. But it also means it's about connections at times.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, and from my own experience, you know, like the most fulfilling part of being a writer hasn't been the the writing or the readings or anything like that. It's been meeting other writers and you know experiencing how cool that artistic community, especially in Baltimore, is.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Baltimore yeah, is a rad think, writing city. Oh, yeah. man!
1: And one of the things that you said, Justin, and I was particularly interested in. You said this, um, your fellowship, the Perry Plus Fellowship is involving um, having a mentor kind of show you the ropes in terms of like even letter queries and stuff like that. I think that's like a huge part of like, uh, you know, professional development. It was a huge part that a lot of MFA programs really miss. Um, the mark on (laughs) I can say, or I will just say my MFA program was not that no disrespect to my MFA. I I hugely enjoy going there and and the experience that I had, but I mean, you know, in terms of like battling that real game, that real world game about sending your work out and that kind of thing. I mean, that was like, a. I just sort of guessed at it, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? And so I think, so I think it's really important that they're teaching those skills too. So that's amazing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I would say my I love my MFA program as well, but the same, you know, did not focus on how it is that you you know query an agent once you get an agent how do you you know work that relationship right the relationship between an agent an editor and you right right
1: contracts i mean all of that legal contracts all of that stuff that i mean i'm serious the first time you know the first time i got a book deal and they were like oh hey we're gonna send over a contract i'm thinking it's like you know a paragraph you understand what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i got that joint it was like multiple pages i was like oh wait a minute hold on you know what i'm saying Yes. Yeah. 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 So I was totally like, oh, my God, I was totally freaked out. So I think that's one that is such a huge part of the publishing industry. And I'm not trying to say that, like business, it's all about business, because like what you said, Justin, one of the greatest things is getting to know people, networking, having this community locally. All of those things is really great. But there is a really huge piece of that professional development that's just missing, like, you know.
2: Yeah. What are you going to, once you have this, this piece of beautiful writing and you have your MFA or whatever, if you choose to get one, you know, um, what's the next step? How do you work those steps? Right. You know, um, and you know, I am so, so grateful. I have an awesome, awesome mentor. You know, um, I'm working with uh, Marcus Burke, put out this really cool novel, Team 7. Um, and Marcus, Marcus is like my sparring partner, man. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> we meet up and it's just we fire back and forth on all cylinders. It's so cool <laughs> working with that guy. Um, and outside of like the really dope part of feeling of, of learning that you're never too old for mentorship, you know, that like I have my MFA and I can still benefit from, you know, working with somebody who's got more yes. experience in the game. Yes. Um. Outside of that, you know, he is really giving me so much insight into, you know when you meet with an agent this is you know some things to do and some things not to do you know um this is how you really work the relationship that's going to evolve that's you know sort of a try relationship between you and an editor and an agent Mm and a publishing house Mm -hmm. you know um Mm -hmm. and how you know you advocate for yourself and your own work in that and don't get sort of run over which is really really common you know um yes i am so so grateful for that kind of stuff because that's not anything that Outside of, you know, really like a few other writers who I've known socially who have, you know, been really, really gracious in offering that me that kind of advice. Um, Michael Kimball, I'll shout out. Absolutely. He's been so cool. Uh-huh. Such a great guy. Um, but outside of that, you know, it really is stuff that I've been trying to piece that together and learn it on my own. And, you know, that's not a fruitful process in publishing. Right. right. It's not.
1: It's not. It's not. And the last piece of what uh, Anthony asked is, uh, what, what are you currently working on? Are you do you have any projects in the churn? Is there anything you could spill to us about what you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am deep into a novel
2: that I've been working on for about five years now. Mm. Um, it's hopefully done soon. Good God. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, uh, it's going to sound a little crazy. It's a horror novel. Um, Mm. Um, kind of my gimmick is that I try to find real, true things and then base stories off of those sure. and mm. uh, mix in enough truth with enough fiction that you kind of have to figure out for yourself what's real and what's not. Mm. Um, so this novel is based off of uh, an actual real cult that exists uh, mm. called The Order of Nine Angles. Um, mm. They're a cult that's been in existence for about 40 some years now. Um, this is where it's going to sound crazy the cult uh they are literal satan worshiping neo-nazis who believe in practicing human sacrifice and they tell their members that the way to commit human sacrifice is by joining law enforcement and the military
0: this is what your story in um in the anthology is about too right or something similar Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah 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 um that actually started as like a prologue to the novel.
2: Right, then, right. You wow. know, as these things develop, you're like, I don't have any use for this, but it will work as a short story,
1: I think. Wow. So. Super exciting.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I hope so. I hope it's something that people want to read eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, it sounds creepy, but also super interesting. <laughs> yeah. Has this,
0: has, this, <laughs> has this taken you to like dark corners of the internet to, to research this stuff?
2: Oh my God, dude, I have <laughs> a, a pile of research that I cannot wait to burn because I'm, I i do not want it in my house anymore. You yeah, know, right. Yeah, of course. Like the unfortunate thing, like as, as ridiculous as, as it might sound, these people are, you know, they're real and they are intred- incredibly dangerous. You know, they have a yeah. body count behind them. Yeah. And wow. I think I kind of found what is sort of like the end of the rainbow in terms of like, I don't think you're going to get more extreme than this, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the the crimes that they are connected to are truly, truly horrific. Uh, and so, yeah, the answer to that one is yes. You know, um, not just the Internet, but, you know, the literature I've had to spend with had to, ha- you know, have my head dunked into in order to, to understand what in the hell I'm talking about even with these people. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like similar to what you were saying about like uh, the, the the submission pile for the anthology is this like some of this is just like vicarious trauma of research and reading and of editing that, uh, it's just uncomfortable to, to sit with and to have to, to explore.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, my personal experience with it, ha- I don't think has been, oh, I don't know. I can't say it hasn't been traumatic. There's only been things where I'm like, wow, I'm going to dream about that unfortunately. Yeah. But, um, I think more than anything up until about January 6th, it was feeling, um, paranoid uh and feeling like i I was sounding like a paranoid lunatic because you know this cult is actually kind of far-reaching and kind of incredibly influential and Mm. there is a lot of evidence you know about just how successful they have been in terms of quote-unquote infiltrating law enforcement and different military factions Mm. but last year two news stories about this cult made the news um both time once where a an enlisted serviceman was caught trying to sell uh information on his unit to cult members. Um, and a second time when uh a law enforcement officer was found to have ties to them um through the uh uh the Plainview Project, which catalogs social media posts by various law
0: enforcement across the country. Mm. See, Justin, this is why this is why I don't read horror, but particularly the type of horror you're describing. I'm gonna like be so fucking creeped out just thinking about this i can't imagine reading a whole novel and unfortunately i am gonna have to read your novel when it comes out so
1: (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i just think i just think you know that's that's why for me it's very hard sometimes um with fantasy and also with sci-fi because i feel like the real the realest horror is right around us is right here right you know what i'm saying it's no it's not in a galaxy it's not on mars it's not you know what i'm saying i feel i feel totally like yeah the the scaredest the the scariest thing I feel like I, I could experience in my lifetime could be living next door to me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, and that is true horror to me. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's I like, agree. yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, and that's what I think. Um, but hopefully these stories, what I hope, you know, will happen is that these stories um, begin to make people aware, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's a part of our history. It's a part of what's going on um, you know, right now. So hopefully it will make people uh, more aware. You know what I'm saying? I mean, despite the fact that it's really creepy and disgusting, um, you know, what I'm saying, hopefully it'll open some people's eyes.
2: I hope, you know, I think from a craft perspective, there is a, a way to thread the needle. So that Mm. you can be as dark and as scary as possible uh, and as necessary without also being so repulsive that a larger readership gets turned off.
1: Right. Um, Right.
2: So that's, I think, the goal. But um, I agree with you, Celeste, you know, um, completely. I think um, the realist horror, you might even say the horror is us.
1: Right. Oh, there (laughs) it is. Yes.
2: (laughs) You know, um, but no, I just I'm I'm truly a believer that you don't need to invent monsters. We have plenty amongst us. (laughs)
0: All right, so let's talk pop. Let's talk pop culture. It's um, pop time. Yeah, let's start with some awards. I guess bridging the gap between literature and pop culture. Yes. Um, since uh, you last heard from us, the Lambda Literary Awards finalist list are out. Um, yep. As always, amazing list, amazing names. I'm building my reading list for the coming year based on oh, these yeah. awards. Um, but we just want to give a quick shout out to a, a couple of particular previous guests of the podcast are being uh named as finalist this year for
1: sure yes
0: yeah so uh lady dane and james the third um who joined us for the last uh outright partnership episode Mm -hmm. um their book the black trans prayer book is a finalist for transgender nonfiction. um and then dave ring one of our earliest guests on the podcast um his anthology which includes both myself um and uh, another friend of ours, Saida yes, uh, Agostini, Agostini. Uh-huh. Um, are both in, in Dave's anthology, Glitter and Ashes. And Glitter and Ashes is a finalist for the LGBTQ plus anthology category. So, Amazing. Um, excited for Dave, Lady Dane, and Jay Mace. Um, really cool. Hope, hope it means big news this summer.
1: Yes, indeed. Fingers crossed for all of our previous guests. Glitter and
0: Ashes is an incredible anthology I'm oh, so great. Happy for Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's really rad. I'm really honored to be a part of it. And, and it's really just um, I, I remember reading an interview with you and Dave talking about it and talking about how just the cool, weird experimental stuff he's throwing all together in that book.
2: Yeah, he's another editor that uh, managed to put a book out during a pandemic. And so I think we had a lot to <laughs> yeah. there.
1: Right. You're like, he should get an award just for that.
2: Yes anybody yeah. who did you get an automatic pandemic book release <laughs> award yeah there, there, actually there should
1: be the pandemic book awards that would be amazing there That's should be what, yeah there should be for all the stuff that we missed out on during this crazy year when we were all shut inside yeah
0: yeah and all the clever ways people found to promote books when there was this like indeed no example for how to do this in the past oh gosh, exactly right? cool so Cece, you had some a couple of things you wanted to talk about right
1: well, I mean, I don't know. There's there's always so much. There's always so much pop culture. But in Black Girl Magic, I'm always bringing Black Girl Magic to the show, um, I wanted to talk about the Issa Rae deal. So uh, I think it was just announced two days ago, but I'm not sure when this actually is going to air, that um, Issa Rae from Insecure, from Awkward Black Girl, um, 36-year-old actress and executive producer, that she made a deal with Warner Media, which also apparently, I didn't know this, actually owns CNN, um, to produce a number of new shows and movies, documentaries, a little bit of everything. Um, they're estimating the deal to be worth $40 million, but apparently Warner me- Media won't say exactly what the number is. Um, but anyway, but the point is, it's supposed to be estimated for 40000000 million. Um, I'm very excited about this for Issa Rae. Um, you know, I, a little shade, I'm not necessarily, I don't love her as an actress, just a little small shade oh, there. I don't. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I'm, I, I'm just being honest for me. But But what I really do love her as is as a producer and as a writer. I think she has a lot of talent and I think she can really put it um, to good use. You know what I'm saying? And put, and seeing her um, control more media is definitely something I'm happy for and anxious and excited to see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool to like the idea of like someone who started as like a vlogger, basically. Yes. Um, being, getting this huge, huge multimillion dollar deal.
1: Yes. And especially on Warner Media. You know what yeah. I mean? Especially like, you know, that big of a deal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, this is like bigger than insecure, bigger than you know, anything that she's sort of done. Right. You know what I mean? And she's done yeah. some films recently. Um, she's done a couple as well. So, I mean, she's really had her hands in a lot of pots. But I'm, I'm going to be interested to see uh, what her next moves are. And I'm always happy to have more black women at the top executive producing and writing yeah, um, television, film and TV that that it's important to have to have representation in these spaces where we have um, trash people like Weinstein. You know what I'm saying? Just saying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very cool. That's really all. I actually am just learning about this because I'm I'm terrible at keeping up with things. Um, right. But I, you know, um, we're talking about this, and actually the, the paraplus um fellows were amongst ourselves about how having sometimes those people of color in those positions can make all the difference. You know, yes. in terms of like yes. work that is given a shot. Because yes. suddenly somebody is like, no, I know what they're speaking to. And I know that they're trying to get across with this. And, you know, the conversations they're actually trying to start. Uh, exactly. I just think is going to open the door for so much
0: cool work we're going to see. That's really awesome. Yeah. 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 And inspire those who, who, who have stories that like they're not confident are valued or have been valued historically to see yep. people like, hey, yeah, we're paying big money for those stories. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep cool let's see what else we have uh you had oh, some social media cc oh
1: i don't know I don't, I don't know i don't know why are you making me bring it up like i'm the one that wanted to bring it up here here anyway, it was on people, both
0: our lists this month it
1: was on both of our lists not because well anyway people Chrissy Teigen quit twitter you are you all already know that this is not an announcement i mean it's just like you know but it's everywhere on pop culture news you know what i mean john legend's wife Chrissy Teigen decided to leave twitter because apparently she was getting um blasted because she She's uh, she's doing a deal with Chris Jenner for some sort of, of what is a vegan pa- plant based company. I don't know what the company's about. But anyway, she was getting slammed um, about it um, by Twitter users. And so uh, she didn't like the hate. She didn't like the shade. So she d- decided to shut down her account.
0: What do you think about that?
1: Um, I mean, I don't I, I mean, Chrissy Teigen. I mean, she's not I mean. Somebody else talk. Somebody else talk is what I <laughs> Well I'll I, say
0: this. I'll say this. I thought it was interesting that most of the responses were people like that I read were people excited that she left Twitter. And the Ooh, most interesting thing about that really? was I didn't that, that it came from both the right and the left. That, yeah, that this makes is sense. Like, like people on the right are like, oh this this liberal Hollywood, I'm glad she's leaving. And the left was like, Oh, this person who is unkind to her like domestic workers uh i'm glad she's gone um Mm. really really interesting that that for completely different reasons the the right and the left kind of
1: agreed on yeah
0: and somewhere in the center like mainstream culture is like oh that's that's so sad to see her leave
1: (laughs) and what do you think personally
0: i i don't care i i think uh she's like she's an interesting person
1: maybe um
0: maybe yeah i think (laughs) she's an interesting person her her husband's very attractive um yeah. i think she's made some jokes in bad taste uh i don't know i'm not the arbiter of what chrissy teigen does or whether or not she either. should be on right. social media yeah right
1: right me either but i thought it was interesting that people were bashing her because of this uh what, whatever de- deal she's inked with chris jenner which i don't know much about um you know yeah
0: yeah i, I think she, she just reached a point where some sometimes some people get to a point but they've done made some wrong moves and they get to a point that there's there's nothing they could or couldn't do. That's not going to receive criticism, right? Like Chrissy, there's nothing Chrissy Teigen could do now. That's not going to have people on both the right and left attack her for it. So yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It was uh, I should have mentioned. Yeah, it was a team. They teamed up to launch a home cleaning product line called Safely. I don't know the the collaboration, which is formed without harsh chemicals, features plant powered cleaning products with natural Ar- uh, aromatherapy sense that's what it is, so she's doing a company, a cleaning product company with Chris Jenner, and people were bashing her because of this because you know Chris is kind of yeah, oh, yeah I
0: mean the Jenners are monsters right um,
1: I mean, well, right <laughs> I mean it so-
2: somebody who's very much you know a, a complete like moron and t- about these things um, is uh, the jenners are are they related to the
1: Kardashians, is that correct or- yeah.
0: Yes, that's correct. Okay. They're all part of that big entertainment family.
1: And okay. Chris is like the she's like, you know, I don't know. She's like the mom of the the matriarch of the of all the girls. You know what I'm saying? And the TV show and all this. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so, OK, OK. Yeah. So I've mm-hmm. heard my
2: cousins talk about her as being sort of um, the 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 manager of all managers and how like, you know, momager. You, Right. Yeah. There you go. Um, And how you essentially like assure that your, your kids' careers are going to go to the moon or something along those lines. But
1: yeah, you know, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to claim, you know, here's, I mean, what, where do I start with celebrities? You know what I'm saying? When you, when you, when you go to bed with dogs, sometimes you wake up with fleas is all I'm trying to say. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, well, girl, you know, if you're supposed to be so caring, then how are you teaming up with Chris, with Chris Jenner? I mean, Come on, man! I Speaking. know so
2: little about Chrissy Teigen, uh, so this is all sort of like, oh,
1: okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I'm familiar
2: with the fact that she's married to John Legend, and I think that's right. about where the knowledge of her stops. Um, right. But as somebody who desperately hates Twitter <laughs> and wants to leave it myself, uh, if it weren't for like promotion aspects of it, I, I do understand that, like. Sometimes social media can just be a lot, regardless yeah. of who you are or what you may have done in your past or whether it's deserved it or not. Like yeah
1: yeah I agree yeah. I agree, and I think yeah. it's good that she's that she's doing good self care for herself even though I don't you know what I'm saying I, I think Chris Jenner is just like I said, we can't even go there, but I think it's good for chrissy teigen she's she's getting hate uh tweets, and so she's taking herself off so hey. girl you, you know girl yeah. take care of yourself do good self care for you Merry Christmas happy New Year bye <laughs> you know what i'm saying that's that's it. A,
0: that's the one part of the story that I'm with hundred percent like she's like Oh, uh, yeah. It doesn't make me happy. I'm getting it's making me more miserable than happy. So I'm going to stop I think doing specifically it. Specifically, like, she said
1: she just said it doesn't bring her joy. And I was like, yeah. are, we, are we Marie Kondoing this? Are we doing that? I was like in the in the tweet where we're leaving. Do we? I was like, I can't. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I was just like, I can't. But anyway, yes, if it do, if it doesn't make you happy you know say goodbye to it
0: yeah hey speaking of 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 entertainment and leaving things that make you unhappy uh here's Uh-oh. one that justin i think might know a bit about okay um my my one that i want to talk about is wrestlemania oh uh, yeah justin you're a wrestling fan right huge and cece you are not you have um, never no. yeah I,
1: all i know from wrestling is when i was a child and my father was watching like i don't know rot roddy piper so i don't yeah, know any yeah. roddy, roddy, i don't piper. that's Right. that And I was like, why why is he watching grown men in little outfits like, you know, throw each other around? I did. That's that's all I know. That's it. That's all I got.
0: Well, I've, as I've explained to you, it is theater. And um, yes, you
1: have. I don't know that I agree, but sure.
0: <laughs> so here's the thing is that um, WrestleMania. Yeah. So WrestleMania is the big event of it. It's a Super Bowl or the Hamilton of, of wrestling. uh um, Uh-huh. uh uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's, it's annual. It's the big event. They pull out all the stops to make this huge event. Last year, um, it was in front of no audience. Right. This you, year, you, you
1: mentioned that, right? Okay. This
0: year, some news. One, they're returning to a live audience. Okay. Um, a little 14, dangerous. Yeah, of 14,000 people mm. um, at a minimum. That's pretty scary. Yeah. Mm. Um, some cool news about it is that um the the main event or one of the main events because it's over two nights this year is that sasha banks and bianca belair two black women mm-hmm. will be headlining wrestlemania this year yeah. They'll be main eventing wrestlemania i'm such a huge sasha sasha banks fan the boss is awesome in the ring yeah she's amazing she she mm-hmm. she's just like one of those few stars who you really see comfortable on stage and commanding a crowd yeah mm-hmm. um great cameo in the Mandalorian season yeah. two. Like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's a Disney, <laughs> princes- a Disney princess now. Cause she was in That's Star Wars. Right, yeah. uh- <laughs> <laughs> um, and Bianca Belair is amazing too. She's um, a former college athlete. Um, and uh, this is her first or second year on the main roster. And so a big, big deal for her, but especially it's never been main evented by uh, two black women. It's only yeah. ever been main evented by a woman once ever before this. So, mm-hmm. Mm. Um, really cool really excited about that some uncool news some deeply uncool news is that it'll be hosted that is sort of the mcs for the night will be titus o'neill pretty cool interesting guy um an hbcu graduate
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and hulk hogan the fucking is he 78
1: how He's, old is
0: <laughs> he is very very hulk, old i know was, that name that, yeah. like i said that's yeah. from my
1: childhood like i'm like yeah. what
0: Very old. He was also like persona non grata with the company for several years because Uh he not that long ago, five, six years ago, uh, there was a recording of him leaked where he just said the most like blatantly racist and homophobic shit ever. He was dropping Mm. N-bombs and the the F-word all over the place. It was awful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. He's just he's just a terrible, terrible human being um he's the one who sued gawker out of existence which uh that's either here or there but um the <laughs> more important thing. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure but he's he's a terrible racist dude he's an absolute mm. monster and him hosting it is is part of this like push to sort of ref, refurbish his image and especially like having him host it with a black man is meant to like i don't know like show hey look i've got black friends it's just like a yeah a you know, terrible thing we can all be hulk again
2: because the hulk no longer uh denigrates black people is, is the image push you know yeah um i i can't say that i'm in any way shocked because you know time mm. out chris jenner is like this is a sort of ultimate manipulator and manager but they, she's got nothing on vince mcmahon you know yeah. um and he will stoop to any level to increase his audience uh or to, to make you know the giant money that he currently makes um hulk's such a, like a crazy figure because you know i grew up during the hulk mania era and i was such a huge hulk hogan fan early on um, yeah he wasn't my favorite wrestler my favorite was always the undertaker <laughs> but, um, who was also problematic yeah then-
0: for sure <laughs> there aren't a lot of wrestlers from that era who were not really really you know like they were all like of an era when the actors were all carnies and living a carny life. And there's a lot of abusers and racists and homophobes and conservatives who come out of that era.
2: It's, it's always a difficult sport because like anybody who, you know, you, you follow the lives of those guys, you have this sort of, this feeling of sympathy for them because they all end up broke and their bodies are torn up from the sport. You know, they are, As much as like they can be problematic people and often are, they're also incredibly exploited. You know, um, WWE makes them work an absolute insane schedule. Most of them have terrible medical care, you know, even though they are literally sacrificing their bodies doing these live stunts every night.
1: That's why this yeah. sounds crazy. this sounds great, look I'm like <laughs> everything you guys are saying sounds crazy I'm like, yeah i'm I'm like this is horrible. people doing this and then I mean, but you know, there are other sports I mean, I don't know if they're the worst in terms of like medical care for their for their people or not, but I mean, you know, I mean, I I don't know. This just sounds like a lot, like you know, entertainment or no, it just sounds like boo. And yeah. and this and and putting Hulk Hogan next to the, I mean, like I said, we uh, everybody heard all this stuff about him being trash. I mean, so putting him next to these uh these women of color is like, huh? And the women of color are headlining the show, but he's but he's the host or whatever. what huh?
0: Yeah, yeah, he's a monster. And Vince McMahon, who Justin mentioned, is the owner right. of the company, and he's a monster. Um. And Ooh. yeah, like Justin said, these workers, they're not considered imp- like 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 Uber and, and, and other delivery drivers, they're not considered workers, they're considered independent contractors. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's it's a nightmare company. And they're getting
1: an I-9. <laughs> yeah, they're getting an yeah. <laughs> <to I-9, laughs> Two. Yeah. You can tell it's tax time. Look, my yeah. brain is like, they're getting an I-9, it's tax um, time. Yeah, but
0: and yeah. they're they just dropped uh, whenever they're no longer useful and have been for years. And and as Justin said, there's some really Hardworking people they're really interesting and cool people doing cool work in their community just working for this nightmare company owned by this yeah. nightmare person and and you know partially related but i guess you can put some distance to it linda mcmahon who is um a, a stakeholder in the company and a former executive in the company and vince mcmahon's wife she was a a, a member of the trump administration mm-hmm. and she's an executive in the america first organization who are the people who funded and got the licenses for the january 6 rally yep. so like
1: i'm dead i'm, yeah, just, yep. I'm just yeah call, call call the morgue roll me out i'm i can't <laughs> i'm just <laughs> i'm just like this information why do you i don't even want to know i don't want to even know this i mean what no yeah. bad
2: yeah horrible i mean it's it's this is a, it's it's a really incredible story i mean Outside of all that, the WWE or WWF at one point wrestling has had a such a terrible history of like black representation, even though there have been phenomenal black wrestlers from the beginning. You know, it wasn't until very, very recently that we got a black heavyweight world champion um, (laughs) or black tag team championships. You know, um, these are all like the title, you know, matches of these. Um, So. It's this odd story of, like, you know that that's there and you are really proud of these performers, but you also know that they deserve so much better than the place they are performing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, like, you know, it's it's great to have these these two women headlining, but it is kind of like instill in the face of this history, you know?
1: Right. Right. That's that's the same way. I mean, I think I don't know. I mean, who am I to tell anybody what to do with their morals? But, you know, this is the same way I feel about Amanda Gorman performing at the Super Bowl. I'm like, I'm just like, you know, I I mean, (laughs) no, you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not even talking about her performance at all. I'm talking about the choice to support you know what i'm saying i mean like it just i mean but the super bowl is one of the biggest it's one of the biggest american you know watched events you know every every year you know what i'm saying i mean and plenty of other performers have performed there you know what i'm saying but i just really think it's important to think about the politics surrounding the event sure. um you know sure. when we make those decisions i completely
2: yeah. agree yeah you know football is such a great analogy for it as well you know because oh. It's again, it's the same thing where, you know, you have many horrifying owners of football teams yeah. and franchises, <laughs> you know, these players who, you know, you love them. They sacrifice everything. And then you meet some of the players and you're like, "And you're a shitty person, too. What am I going to do with that? You exactly. Know?
1: And then yeah. everybody's like, let's go watch the Super Bowl and eat nachos. Right. You know, because right.
0: you know,
2: <laughs> at the end yeah, of the day, hey. the entertainment's really good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and hey, hey, just to shout out some positive uh, it, They're the WWE's biggest competitor, AEW. Um, is doing yeah. well and doing innovative and interesting things and trying cool. not to fall in some of the pitfalls. Um, and they're putting really exciting, fun
2: matches, too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, sure. They just had a um, uh, a barbed wire death match uh, recently that got a lot of attention. It was very cool. An exploding barbed wire death yeah.
1: match. <laughs> okay, yeah. you just added an extra word to those four initial <laughs> <laughs> barbed wire death <laughs> match. Can we? we have, we're gonna have to end this segment. And here we are with bang for today. Always exciting question, question, yeah. question. What do you got for us today? Well, so I wanted something dark. Okay. Cause you know, yes. theme is like, the theme is, well, I'm not, I, at first I went too dark. I won't say what my initial question was, but, but I will say thinking on the dark theme, my question is what is the scariest scene from a television or film or movie show that you've ever seen that you can remember that you can recall scariest like scene. So I'm going to throw it it to i'm gonna throw it to anthony cool. Anthony, scariest cool.
0: scene hey i know we were talking about horror and and this dark genre all the time but like justin i grew up watching that stuff and for me it just desensitized me to it so i wasn't mm. really scared by tv and film because i'd like way too early like elementary school i mm-hmm. was watching jason and freddie and and uh hellraiser um and so sort of like okay i get it there's gonna be gore there's gonna be jump scares and so those didn't scare me but one that unexpectedly did that sticks with me to the day and when i think about fear on tv and film it sticks out to me a really unexpected one is the boat scene from Willy wonka i don't know if you remember this in the original one the gene wilder one good uh, pick yeah and they get on the boat and like flashes of the bad guy and like maybe satan and multicolored and and there's this weird poemy chant going on and it scared me for years and years and continues to scare me to this day um and so that's what i think of when i think of scary moments not not horror or gore or anything like that
1: i'm gonna have to look that up again
0: yeah yeah it's uh it's brief it's like uh 30 seconds or something maybe a minute um but it's Mm. super super scary it's it's really good
2: it's um I think a lot of people I've, I've talked to have said that 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 scene like just it's
0: so out of character for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, it's all fun and hijinks. And then there's this like dark thing in the middle of it. You're like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Exactly. Wow. wow. <laughs> Especially because it's like a kid's movie. You're just not yeah. expecting that. <laughs> wow. What about you, Justin? What do you got?
2: Ooh, OK. Um, so I'm tempted to talk about like my all time favorite horror movie, uh, which is The Thing. Um, mm. But awesome. honestly, I think the moment that scared me the most, um, and that still kind of gives me pause, uh, is from the '90s movie Candyman. Oh um, yes, yes. Uh, and this is—I have—it's a, is a weird one, but like, it's uh, after he. This is again spoilers for everybody. I wasn't seeing this now, twenty-some year old movie. Right, exactly. Right? This yeah. now being
1: remade again. I don't know when it's coming out. When the new one's coming mm. out.
2: And there's, ah, oh, my God! I could talk to you. Before. I could talk your ear off about that. But, um. There's this scene in the original where uh, he shows up and he, you know, murders, um, you know, commits murders. And the way it looks is he frames this woman for them. Uh, And I can't tell you exactly what it was that I think, like, yes, I can. It's the idea that, like, you know, when a monster or something kills you, that's one thing. But what he did there is he assassinated her name and her legacy. You know, mm, like right. she gets remembered right. as this, you know, monster and this murderer and this killer, even though she's an innocent person. Right. It um, just really, really deeply hit me watching it. You know, for the first time when I was a teenager, I was just like, "Wow, that's probably the most fucked up thing he's done all movie." You know,
1: like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean the whole movie was. Scary. I loved that movie. That's it's like so great. That's it, it, it is amazing, and I'm so happy that Jordan Peele is going to do the remake. I guess that's. I don't know. This year, I think um, I, he's doing it. He's uh, doing it with some other people. I think there's even a woman that's the director. I yeah. can't remember her name. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I'm really excited. I'm really excited to see that brought back to the screen. I have never been excited for a sequel the way I'm excited for that. Yeah.
0: I think that that one too is sort of like a, a precursor to all the stuff we're talking about where like social horror is having its moment right now mm. over the last five years. Mm. I think that's absolutely a precursor to the way we talk about, uh, particularly racialized social horror. That movie is engaging with those questions decades before we're talking about them now. So.
1: Yeah, that's true. Really good um, point.
2: Yeah. I had the, uh, really, really wonderful experience of, um, giving a reading with, uh, a black woman who is a scholar, um, who's put out, mm. um, a book and um, a documentary called horror noir that's tracing black horror essentially. Oh, and she's oh, talking rad. about candy man. And um, she had pointed out something that I had never really, it's, it's so obvious when you see it, but I had never picked it up um, that she's like Candyman man is originally written, you know, by, you know, white author and white director. Um, and what you see in candy man is candy man is this, you know, monster created by white supremacy yeah. who only kills black people in the movie.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. who you see him yeah.
2: take his, his, his anger out on one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and since you made the point that's like, you know, we're, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what um, the new director is Nia DaCosta. Um, oh, right. See okay. Black, yeah. black well, yes. woman's right. take on this monster created by, you know, white supremacy. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, really curious. I think it's one of the best in Kind of like little understated, you know, not as talked about horror movies out there.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I hope by the time the new one comes out that I can be in a damn movie theater with my popcorn next to some people. That's what I hope. That's Being scared hope. in public. Yes. I mean, isn't that the best when you you know what I'm saying? When you grab onto someone you don't know, you know what i you're, like, you're like, oh shit, and you grab the person and you're like, Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. You know? Yeah, that's the best. That's what I miss from, you know, this whole pandemic is like, I don't know, strings next to me somewhere in a movie theater and all kinds yeah. of other things yeah
2: uh, so the opposite I, I miss it for horror movies but then the rest of the time I'm just
1: like oh i'm never going back to a theater <laughs> oh, <laughs> i could no! do this from my own home and eat like mm-hmm. my own snacks and oh no no i oh my god i love movies movies is like i don't know I have some kind of old like reminiscing thing about movies and movie theaters it's kind of like trains to me even though i kind of i'm not here for amtrak necessarily but it's like train all of these things that sort of like like Like, I don't know, take us back to another time, you know, it's like a Mm -hmm. portal to another world of like, you know, where where you go to the picture film, even though I, I, you know, that never existed. But, you know, that sort of thing during my my lifetime. But I'm just saying I sort of have romantic ideas about going to the movies. So I kind of I guess I kind of missed that. I don't know.
2: You know, I think um, this is so snobby, but it depends on the theater for me. You know, um, that's true. Like, going to the Parkway in Baltimore, I love it. I'll go to the Parkway any day of the, or the week. the Charles, it's, right. Yeah, yeah, or the Charles, you know, and that's right. that's getting exactly what you're talking about, Cece, because that's that sort of old-world movie house type thing yes. where yes. it was a whole cinematic experience. Yes. Um, that I really love. I think... The more corporate chains and you know, I, I can't stand the CineBistro. It's just so I was t- just about <laughs> to
1: ask about that. I was about to ask oh, about CineBistro. Let's not go down the CineBistro lane. Let's not, <laughs> let's not do it. Let's or or let's do it for our listeners that don't know what the CineBistro is.
0: Yo, yeah. So CineBistro is a, a national chain. Uh, there's one here in Baltimore that does uh fine dining uh in in quotation marks um at seat side so a waiter comes to your seat and you eat your little meal uh at the the first half of the movie and they'll bring you beers throughout the movie and popcorn throughout the movie Um, like artisanal buttered popcorn and you know in a ceramic bowl and not a, right. a, a tub yeah so
1: so, so tell the <laughs> listeners why you guys are being so snobby about this <laughs> probably to everyone else this sounds like a dream come true well you <laughs> know i i
0: i talk shit about it but it's also the closest theater in my house so i've been there before things closed it's probably the theater i went to most often is the mm. center bistro near my house um,
1: oh well well
0: well the one thing i dislike about it is uh it feels like nobody's paying attention in the first 20 30 minutes of the film because everyone's eating and because right because all the utensils. waiters and waitresses are coming yeah. to the
1: edge of the yeah i know yeah
0: um but it's also you know it's not that what justin said like the old world cinematic feel it's it's a some it's something else it's meant to i don't know to shift dramatically what the movie's supposed to be
2: yeah it's it's the entire thing as i think about creating an upscale and select yeah. experience yeah, sure um which, you know, look, I, I'm a bit of a jerk, but it, there's nothing wrong with it. If You know, it's just – it's oh not no, for you me. It's outside of my price range on the norm. Yeah, right. um, same. And right. I just prefer – an audience if i'm gonna go to a movie especially now i prefer an audience that is going to be just like you were talking about cc i like a reactive audience i like an expressive audience anybody's ever been to a black movie theater knows what it's like to see a movie with a black (laughs) audience it's one of the best damn experiences on the planet
1: right exactly it's just it's worth it's worth all the money you have to go to go experience that i agree and
2: those, in my experience, have never been the fancy, well-to-do theaters. It's always been, you know, at least in my growing up experience in Baltimore, it's always been it started with the $5 movies, you know, um, right. where you could catch three or four flicks in a row. Right. You know, right. Um, and then it's been just the sort of like the, they're corporate chains, but they're not the fancy ones. You can still get away with a movie night for about 25 bucks. Exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly, which makes it it's accessible for a larger group of people. You
0: know, yeah, right. for sure. At Cinebistro, we're talking movie tickets and maybe two dinner for two and drinks for two. I'm talking a hundred dollars to go to a movie. At yeah, least. pretty easily. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. It's like the Macy's of the industry. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's <laughs> right. like you know, the big, it ain't Target, it's Macy's yeah. or Nordstrom's.
0: I will, say, I will say this though: the one benefit, the one real benefit of Cinebistro is that it's 18 and up so yeah. you can go see films without kids um
1: i mean but isn't everything well i you no, you're right okay you're right young people do go yeah yeah you're right young people do go and sit in a lot of movies that they're not you're right you're right you're right i was gonna say isn't but like everything? you know i like
0: uh, uh i saw black panther and and other marvel movies there And normally those would be filled with like teens and kids and it's nice to yeah. just watch it with other adults
1: Ah, so you're, so you're a child snob. Okay. We've assessed. Oh, noms. you know that, you know, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I prefer to just go
0: throughout the world dealing with adults. Um, uh, wow.
1: Wow. Wow. There it is. There it is. I and, understand.
0: I,
2: understand. I understand. he's <laughs> Do not, do not co-sign
1: Justin. Do not co-sign. On that note, I'm going to, I'm going to finish up. I'm yeah, going to with my scary thing, which is very yeah. simple. It's very, it's very easy. It's very, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know, it just, it just feels like very mainstream overground. It's a little girl from Poltergeist. The girl who oh, looks yeah, like sure. a blank sheet of paper who sits in front of the look, she, she did to me when I was young. I was like, this girl, look. first of all, she doesn't look white. She looks like a blank sheet of paper. She has like white hair and like mm-hmm. white skin and she's sitting in front of the TV and she's like got her hands on the television. And why this was scary to me as a young person is really because I did watch so so much TV as a young child, right? You know what I'm saying? So there was a way in which I was like, oh, are the monsters are there monsters in the tv you know what i'm saying like this whole idea and then of course this girl also died at a young age like for real like on a in a hospital like i don't know what she had but i remember she died at like 11 or 12 or something like that which is uh, makes it even more scary like the longer you you sort of go on but it just had a very um creepy and a creepy feel to me and especially because it was related to the television you know which i which was so beloved to me when i was young So, uh, yeah, my movie, my movie and my scene is Poltergeist and the little tiny girl watching the TV. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it's
0: such a good one. Yeah, it's a great film, but also it's um, her her look in that, like you said, it's like she's almost translucent. um, Yes. And that set this sort of horror of the 80s and 90s of like pale, blonde and blue eyed as being the terrifying thing. I'm thinking of like uh, Children of the Corn. Yeah, 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 that kind of thing. And today, that's still one of the scariest things to hear, like little kids, little pale kids, like chanting or saying creepy things. That's terrifying.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't want none. And Chucky, I mean, you know what I'm saying. Chucky, another little <laughs> and pale, good old Chucky. Yeah. <laughs> and good old Chucky. You know, he's scary too. His look, his face. I'm like, what is that? You know what I'm saying? For black children, it's like, uh, uh-uh, I don't want none of that. Like, <laughs> I
0: also wanted nothing of Chucky. Chucky was terrifying to me.
1: Right, um, he is. He's, yeah, that's what I'm. These these are iconic, like movies, and you know what I'm saying. Films that where the images are just like emblazoned into your memory. You know what I okay, mean? Okay.
2: Do you guys remember the toy, my buddy? Yeah, my yeah. buddy and me. Uh, yep. yeah. yeah. I had one of those damn dolls, um, and then <laughs> Child's play came out, and he looked exactly like yeah, Chucky. I came did. home from that movie and threw that fucking thing down a flight of basement <laughs> steps and was like... <laughs> <laughs>
1: i love that we should be able to call my buddy that that should be the name of the podcast my My buddy Buddy. and me yeah that is it i mean but my buddy also kind of looked like cabbage patch dolls which were really scary too those shits were really scary looking too they had scrunched up little faces and like i don't you know dolls are just i don't know i I
2: think dolls generally kind of have that like weird i don't know uncanny valley thing going for them yeah that's true
1: So that's it, folks. That's all we yeah. have today. Hey, with our Justin, love- thank yeah. you
0: for talking with us. It's been great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh.
2: Thank you guys so much for inviting me. This has been so fun.
1: Oh, we, we hope so. Yeah, we yeah. don't. It took us so long to get around to you. We're happy to have you here now.
0: Yeah, oh, there's no worries at all. Happy yeah. to do it. Excited about your new work. Excited about uh, the Indeed. Yeah. Um, excited to hear you're thriving out there.
1: Thank you guys so much. Yeah, And with yeah. good yeah. mentorship, and with good mentorship. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: awesome. Hey, real quick before you go, if if readers want to find you, your work on the internet, where should they look?
2: Oh, boy. Um, well, you can find me on Twitter, at Ghost Moan. That's my only social media. Um, okay. Uh, and then uh, the book, The Horror Is Us, is available through Mason Jar Press. Um, yeah. You can go to the Mason Jar website, and it'll be there. Um. I also have some workout in American short fiction. If you want to back order the issue from awesome. 2016 or so, I think. Yeah. Um, and then there's some other stuff floating around out there. I try not
0: to list a resume. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah. we'll make sure to put those links though in the show notes. so Everyone can, can find that stuff. Cause right. People want to, people want to read you stuff. Yeah. It
1: is, it is.
0: Well, thank you guys. You're very, very complimentary. <laughs> Cool. Well, hey, listeners, as always, thank you for coming and joining us. Come yep. listen to me. Spending time with today. us. We love yeah, you for that. Yeah. You know all how right. to find us on the Internet at always like follow us, like us, talk about us on the Internet, all that stuff. Smash shade that like us. button. Maybe yeah, all... a little bit of shade. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> Tell me how I'm wrong about, uh, you know, Chrissy Teigen. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah.
0: Or Child's Play. <laughs> or Child's Play. <laughs> all, right. all right. And as always, coming out of Baltimore, I'm Anthony and I'm CeCe. And this has been Lit Pop. Bang!